Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, and turn on notifications so that you will receive alerts when there are new episodes. Go get it. You're in the right place. You checking out? Chip Baker, the success crowd. Conquer all my goals, then I'm living out my dream. Dig deep, go out and get it. Success Chronicles. Compete until it's finished. Success Chronicles. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Chip Baker coming to you with another episode of the Success Chronicles. And today we have with us Mr. Joel Freeman, and um, I'm truly thankful to have him be a part of the Success Chronicles. Uh, he's done so many amazing things. You know, just I'll try to give you a rundown of, of a couple. I mean, we'd be here all day <laughs> like, listening to all of the things that he's done because it's so pretty, so cool. But a mentor to pro athletes of uh, the NBA, Washington Bullet, Bullets and Wizards for over 20 seasons. Um, accomplished author, uh, internationally sought out uh, conference speaker and workshop facilitator. Uh, many things with, with multicultural uh, travels, uh, professional counselor, uh, just number of things. Passionate about dynamic, fun field excellence. And um, just, you know, does lots of positive things uh, to make our world a better place. And I'm truly thankful to have him on this episode of the Success Chronicle. So thank you so much for taking that opportunity to uh, interview with the Success Chronicles. Hey, Chip, it's good to be with you. I call that stuff the resume obituary type stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, if you don't mind, let's jump into your life story. You know, talk to us about, you know, where you're originally from and kind of track your story and some of the things you've accomplished. Well, I uh, just kind of a quick overview. Cause, um, uh, when it comes to a life story, you know, I will not get into the moon shell, stay at around 30,000 feet. But I left home. <laughs> I grew up in Alberta, Canada, mm -hmm. uh, in a little town of 2,000 people. And um, I left home when I was 17. I became a long-haired hippie and a dope-smoking fool, uh, just <laughs> traveling all around North America. Probably put about, uh, I don't know, five, 6,000 miles on my thumb. And that was a, a, quite an, an incredible time. Uh, mm. The only regret I had was the, the pain I brought my parents, especially my mother. And um, we repaired things about a year later and they became best buddies. They, they both uh, have since passed, uh, 2009. Mm -hmm. But uh, Dad was 91, Mom was 90. So we had quite a few years with them. I have uh, three siblings, an older brother, an older sister, and a younger sister. So I'm kind of stuck in the middle there. Yeah. And uh, then when I, uh, uh, I had a, uh, an experience in September 1972, where my life turned just 180 degrees, and I signed up for school, 
and um, it was just uh, quite a, a, a trans. I, I call it transformation, 180 degrees. Uh, and a great purpose came in my life, and uh, I uh, then, uh, through a series of uh, situations, um, uh, about seven years after. Uh, about 25 years of age, I became chaplain for the Bullets, the Wizards, in the NBA. Hmm. I was one of the first uh, chaplains in the history of the NBA. We dealt with uh, dealt with player development, uh, kind of a kick butt coach, mm-hmm. um, uh, someone that just uh, just was there uh, as a as a uh, someone who was not uh, just just being a friend to them and not having any agenda other than to love them and to uh, listen, encourage, and uh, provide some wisdom and advice when requested, and also to, to maintain confidentiality. That's about 90% of the, the job. Yes, sir. I did that for 20 seasons. And probably the, the thing I'm most astonished at is I survived six coaching changes during that period of time. And so uh, that was uh, just a, a really interesting experience, I think. My wife and my uh, kids, uh, we have four children, and uh, just, uh, just uh, been fun watching them grow up and expand and uh, kind of figure their way out, they figure their way in the world, and do, uh, that's just been kind of a lot of fun seeing that happen, too. That's awesome. Good stuff. Well, uh, what are three things you've accomplished in your life that you're proud of? I would have to say, uh, with my family, uh, one thing I did for my kids way back when uh, my oldest son, he's now 39, when he was uh, just about seven years of age, I'd been reading a book called Innocence Abroad by Mm -hmm. Mark Twain published in 1869, and in this book, he, he made a statement that really grabbed me. He said, travel is fatal to prejudice and bigotry, and many people need it sorely on those accounts. He said, you can't, uh, you can't expand your mind by vegetating one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. Mm. So uh, that kind of grabbed me, and then I came up with this idea I'm not sure of all the, uh, the sub-points that came between reading that and then coming up with the idea. But it was the whole idea of, of just having the, the kids at, at 15 years of age, we go, they could go anywhere in the world with Dad. And so uh, uh, because of my travels and everything, my wife pretty much raised the kids. Uh, I was around quite a bit, but... Um, uh, she really, I, I just tip my hat to her in terms of, of how she spent so much time with them. But at 15, uh, what we did is we began to uh, go through the, uh, just, just go wherever they want to go. And, of course, it was taking them to the library at younger years and deter- take, picking out, pulling out um, videotapes of uh, various countries Mm-hmm. and uh, books and just going around the world, making them become more geographically literate was one of the byproducts. And then what happened is that uh, then they would choose. And so uh, oldest son, we went to Israel 
via uh, through uh, London. We had a layover in London. Uh, second son, we went to uh, Egypt, Italy, France, Monaco, and the Vatican. Mm. Uh, son number three, we went to Hawaii, did a layover there, and the rest of our time went all around uh, Australia. I mean, literally all around Australia. And then uh, daughter, she went with mom to Barbados, and then later in her early 20s, she and I went to Africa for uh, about uh, 20 days of doing something for the uh, Association of International Schools of Africa. So it just uh, became a time where we learned from that uh, the benefits. In fact, I have a website um, online called tripswithdad.com where people can, uh, they can understand the benefits before the trip, during the trip, and after the trip. And it's just been a wonderful experience. Uh, that's one thing. Another thing is that uh, in working with the bullets, the wizards, that really was something that um, I felt uh, was, was impactful to me, but also to be able to pour my life into, let's say, one player who can connect with a million people plus Mm. That seemed like a wise expenditure of my time and energy uh, in terms of uh, uh, just just the the force multiplier, if you will, of my time and energy with one person. So that was, uh, I saw a number of guys, uh, you know, I, I'll go to my grave with a lot of uh, stories. I mm. wouldn't, don't even tell my wife. But um, just the, the stuff that we went through and some of the things that we had had to deal with uh, was was just an opportunity to kind of pull the curtain back and get to, to see behind the, the curtain and see how they deal, dealt with the winning and losing at the pro level and emotional intelligence and conflict resolution and, uh, you know, leadership and teamwork and all that kind of stuff was really quite an experience. Then the third thing, since you asked the three things, was is um, I became very interested in black history. Um as a, as a guy from a small town in Canada, it's it's kind of an anomaly, if you will. But uh, the the thing that uh, really hit me is I when when I came to U.S. is I just saw that uh, there was such almost an intractable uh, issue surrounding race. Having traveled to England and some other part, parts of Great Britain, other parts of Great Britain, it's about class. But here, it's so much about race. And so I ended up um, uh, my, my working with the bullets. You know, their position in life attracts a lot of insincere people, and they would, began to kind of put their fingers on the seams of my soul to figure out if I was a trustworthy, believable, sincere. And in the process, they began to ask questions about uh, ancient Africa and what did Jesus look like, and you know, the chaplain, you know, those type of things. Mm -hmm. what, what, what part did people of African descent play? in biblical and extra-biblical history. And uh, that I didn't have a clue how to respond to some of those questions. So it forced me to start studying. And then fast forward to 1993, I met a gentleman by the name of Don Griffin, uh, a man of African descent. And we ended up, long story short, we ended up co-writing a book and a film version of that book together called Return to Glory, subtitled The Powerful Stirring of the Black Man. And that really, uh, when you put your name on a book uh, with a bibliography and notes and we're revealing, you know, the, what wells we're drawing our water from, 
uh, and that really forced me to begin to really take this seriously. And then I built, I developed a, uh, a black history collection, and I've done exhibits at the United Nations, the White House, um, the Secret Service just invited me for the seventh year in a row to, uh, to do some things, Clinton Presidential Library. And so that, uh, working with the bullets and then, you know, developing this black history collection and now I'm in the process of developing a curriculum, K through 12, K through 2, 3 through 5, 6 through 8, 8 through 12 um, are, are the different layers. Ten units from ancient Africa to now and uh, there's 15,000 school districts and uh, so we'll have it ready for uh, the fall of, of 2019. And we're very excited about the way it's developing and uh, the truth uh, that we're bringing forth. And to, to my knowledge, there's no other curriculum that is powered and informed specifically by a, a collection dedicated to the curriculum. So we're gonna do some very cool things around this and uh, very excited about uh, some of the other aspects that uh, been able to to accomplish with uh, using Black history as a gateway to uh, to connect with people. You know, it's it's interesting. I've been around a lot of uh, very wealthy, powerful people. People who would say, you know, I want to play golf today uh, in in Palm Beach, West Palm, or something like that, and be back in time for dinner hmm. wherever they're coming from. And um, very little is uh, very little shocks them or awes them. They, they uh, but you put a handwritten letter by Frederick Douglass in their hands, and I watch that person. Even their body language changes. There's a, a humility, a teachability that emerges, and that's what motivated me to want to get involved with, with collecting items that are real. There's a, there's a website called blackdistrictcollection.com people can go to to see a part of it. And then my story, whitemanstory.com, is where people can learn about my, uh, just my, it's my internet story on how I, as a, a Canadian, became interested in, in black history and what that mm. means. That is some amazing stuff. And and that's definitely three things uh, to be proud of for sure. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk. Let's talk success. What's your definition of success? Well, uh, it's interesting that the, the Carnegie Foundation back in the early nineteen hundreds they came up with a. Um, they're working with a group of engineers, and they were trying to figure what success was all about. How you import it. How you export it and, uh, you know, some of the different aspects to it. And uh, what they discovered is that 15% of success, however one defines it, is based on technical competence, whereby 85% of success is based upon our interpersonal skills, how we work with people, uh, how we connect with people, uh, the likability factor without losing who we are, losing our identity in the process. And um, I, I've thought much about that because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mo when, I, when I speak, uh, regardless which audience it is, I'm usually, I usually have people that are 
uh, quite technically competent. In fact, some are profoundly just brilliant at what they do. Uh, it, but I try to focus. I figure our, our educational institutions and um, the, the folks who hire individuals to work corporations and other organizations, they're looking for the skill sets. Uh, my focus has been in most of my life on how we connect with each other. It's, it's like a team, you, you know, basketball team. You have to have a big ego to play at that level. And if you look at the book Outliers, uh, yeah, Malcolm says that uh, you need to have about 10,000 hours uh, in whether you're, uh, you know, a virtuoso violin player or a a member of the Beatles band, <laughs> rock band, or uh, Bill Gates, or what, whatever one does in life, 10,000 hours makes a person uh, function at a very high level. And so you bring people together, regardless of the number of hours they put in to their particular discipline. Uh, but what happens is that uh, the more talented a person is, the more skilled a person is, uh, the more potent, the occupational hazard is that they're all elbows. It's like I, I'm the main go-to person, and I don't need you around me. And mm -hmm. so, and, and the is, it is a, uh, the higher person gets in the organization, the more they tend to lack uh, self-awareness, whether it's internal or, and or self uh, external self-awareness. So it's the whole idea of success, I think, it boils down to. Uh, we all have some God-given talents and gifts, right? and it's all about elevating other people and looking for ways to uh, encourage them. Uh, you, know, you go to some conferences, and everyone's there to, you know, what can you do for me? Uh, I've been at some conferences, like uh, George Frazier's Frazier Net, for instance, and it's in the DNA of, of George Frazier and, some, and the other folks who attend. It's, it's, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Uh, how can I put, get your leg up over the pen? And that, to me, is, is what it's all about. Uh, there's a great book called Real Power by Janet O. Hagberg. And um, in there, she talks about how when people start off in life, uh, they're looking, they externalize it. They're looking for uh, significance. Uh, they're looking for power. And every one of us has experienced what it's like to be powerless. And people go through different stages. She, in her model, uh, they go through different stages where they try to, where they, they use an external approach. It's who they know, uh, you know, what kind of car they're driving, where they live, um, you know, all the resume obituary type stuff, what's written on their business card, <laughs> where their office, what they can see from their office, those kind of things, how they spend their leisure time. And it's all external. And then she says that uh, what happens is a person hits a wall. And, and that wall, suddenly, it just jars them, and it, it forces them to become more contemplative, more uh, self-aware, uh, more teachable, until finally, she says, in the sixth layer of, of um, what real power is all about, it's all about giving it away. It's all about sharing wisdom with other people. And sometimes it just takes years for the stuffing to get knocked out of us, so that we're at that spot, yeah. at that place, if you will. But I think it, it also, regardless wherever a person is, in fact, I was talking with a young man uh, last year, and he was uh, getting his, uh, he's going to become a lawyer, and he's 
he says, I'm going to have this, I'm going to live there, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have a huge bank account, and I'm going to invest, and I'm, I said, you go for it, buddy, you know, I'm going to know this person, I'm going to have all this external stuff, I said, just go for it, I said, um, you know, you've got to get some things worked out of your system, and there's no seminar, there's no book, there's no teaching, there's no one in your face telling you it's not going to, not going to fulfill you, it's going to work, you've got to go through it yourself. Mm-hmm. And once you get, once you hit the wall, then there's an opportunity for all of the things that you have and done and know, all the people you know. Then all of that, there's nothing wasted, can become part of your network now. To what I think true success is, is that utilizing the God-given talent to elevate other people. And so, uh, I just think it, uh, it, it's just a wonderful journey we're all on, and. Uh, and hopefully we learn from uh, the life lessons, the ups and the downs, the bruises, uh, the joy and the sorrow, and then we all come through all of that with the, uh, the greater love for other people. I love that explanation. Uh, I had a conversation with a guy the other day as well, and uh, you know, one of my my deal. I have a hat on my shirt sometimes. I have to go get it, you know, and, uh, yes. you know, and so to me, I think, you know, in order to be successful and to achieve things, yes, you have to have a mentality of go get it, go make it happen. But to, 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 you know, yes, leave a legacy. Yes, we want to do that. But, but more than that, live a legacy on a daily basis. You have to go give it. You know, yeah, I think you good. have to go, you know, you have, have a go give it mentality. You know, once you've lived, learned, served and, you know, it's inspiring. And so I think it's selfish to share that um, to not share it. <laughs> you know, right. you, you, you got to share it with, with people because I think that's the right thing to do. And that's what the big man wants us to do. And so that's right. uh, I, I wholeheartedly believe in, like you said, using your God given talent. To elevate other people, I love that. That takes the focus off ourselves. Yes. Uh, I find that uh, you know, anytime I start looking inward and gazing at my own navel and start, you know, hyperventilating about X, Y, or Z, <laughs> uh, and then it's it's not productive. But when no. I take my eyes off myself, you know, I'm writing a new book uh, right now. I'm about sixty-five percent done. It's called Finding the Open Man. And it's uh, really telling the story about how I became chaplain for an NBA team, one of the first in history. And um, the subtitle, uh, I'm still working on a lot of aspects of it. The subtitle is um, The the Surprising Benefits of Unselfishness. Mm. So it's using the metaphor, basketball as a metaphor, and my life story uh, working with basketball players and how that all worked, uh, you know, what I learned out of that as a, uh, as part of a tool to talk about unselfishness and what it means to be an unselfish person and not to be preachy or anything like that. In fact, there's two chapters in there that uh, is, it's all about Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I'm doing is I'm going through the 12 steps of AA and NA as it relates to being addicted to self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I'm actually working through it in my own life 
doing a fearless moral inventory and just mm. uh, taking a look at anyone that I've hurt in my entire life. And then in some cases going back where appropriate, as uh, the third and fourth step uh, discuss, you know, to go back and make amends uh, where appropriate and to uh, really walk through uh, the addictive nature of self-centeredness and self-absorption. It's, uh, it's really uh, a lifelong struggle, and this probably isn't over until a few days after we're taking a dirt nap. Uh, and, um, mm. you know, just, it just, uh, self-centeredness is something that I think is, uh, you know, that only in, from my view, uh, theologically is the only thing to be done through, through God and, uh, through, uh, just understanding what, what has been accomplished on our behalf so that we can address the self-centeredness in us. So, uh, work, play, family, uh, all of it's designed uh, for our benefit to help us to, in some cases, in many cases, to confront self-centeredness and, uh, and to be able to, uh, to learn from it and, uh, and, and, be, and use that as, as a uh, kind of a teaching uh, mechanism, if you will, throughout life. Even, even the flat tire or uh, standing in line at the airport or hmm. whatever it is, you know, that, that challenges us and, and we start flirting with impatience or looking down on somebody else. All of that, I think, is designed to uh, confront, cause us to confront self-centeredness. Mm. I love it. Well, I truly appreciate you taking the time um, to... Uh, I don't know, just share your experience and life and knowledge with the Success Chronicles. And, and I, I truly uh, wish you continued success. And before we get off, if, the, if there's anything that you would like to promote, I know you mentioned, you know, some of your websites, you mentioned your new book, uh, in, you know, Return to Glory. If there's some, you know, any promo that you would like to do as far as your social media or any things like that. I would love for you to take the opportunity to do that to promote what you're doing, so that we can the, the Success Chronicle family can show you some support and love because I think it's great what you've been blessed to do and how you've been blessed to do it in your life. Well, thank you. I, I would like to leave it with this. Um, it, uh, I think it was Augustine said back in the fourth century. He said, "Seek to seek first to understand mm. before seeking to be understood." Uh, it doesn't preclude the need to be understood. It just means there's a chronological sequence. And I think if everyone listening could take the next 30 days and just focus on seeking to understand the spouse, child, um, co-worker, next-door neighbor, someone at the faith community, uh, uh, someone at the grocery store, wherever it is, to seek first to understand and then doesn't mean we will be understood it just means that uh, you know the possibility of being understood is there but uh, we have to look at what we have control over and responsibility if anyone wants to connect um, probably the best thing I'm having a brand new website created for my what I do in speaking but it's called it's four words Joel speaks real good dot com and Joel J-O-E-L speaks realgood.com is the website. My uh, phone number's there, my email address, any contact information, and I would stand ready to serve anyone or any organization that uh, would, be, would have interest in having me uh, come in and speak. 
a brand for my company, Seven Words, dealing with people who drive you crazy. And that's what I love doing is helping to deal with people that, that, uh, that drive other people crazy. And sometimes it's us that's driving, doing the driving. That's <laughs> it. Well, again, uh, I truly appreciate you taking the time. Uh, so thankful. And um, thank you guys for checking out this episode of the Success Chronicles. We'll see you next time. God bless. All right. Go get it.